1: Automatic emergency braking systems on new heavy trucks. The National Highway
0: Traffic Safety Administration will also set rigorous testing standards for autonomous vehicles and develop a national database to document automated vehicle crashes. The announcement comes two days after four people were killed in Phoenix when a milk tanker going too fast collided with seven passenger vehicles. Jason Walker reporting.
1: And the leaders of the world's richest countries have agreed to endorse a global minimum tax on multinational corporations. This decision had been widely anticipated after finance ministers earlier this month embraced placing a global minimum tax of at least 15% on big multinationals to stop them from using tax havens. This is SRN News.
0: This is AM 1280, The Patriot. Celebrating 20 years on air.
2: Brad Carlson here. Happy 20th anniversary, AM
0: 1280 The Patriot.
2: it's Mitch Burke from the Northern Alliance
0: Radio Network. I'm proud and thankful to be on the air because it's easy to feel like you're all alone as a conservative in a place like the Twin Cities. I just want you to know you're not. Catch the Northern Alliance Radio Network live every Saturday and Sunday from 1 to 3.
3: Join us in welcoming Jack Tomzak to the Northern Alliance Radio Network. He's run a successful podcast, been a guest on air here, and serves as the Director of Communications for the Republican Party of Minnesota, so he's not a stranger to a microphone or politics. Listen in and give him a warm welcome this and every Saturday from 3 to 5 p.m. Your forecast for today is going to be a hot one with a high of 95 moving in the clear and a low of 64 for tonight. Tomorrow, sunny and a high of 88 moving in the clear again and a low of 62. This is AM 1280 The Patriot.
2: You can check out my blog at bradcarlson.org and we are here to take your phone call 651-289-4488 If you'd like to weigh in via Twitter feel free to do so Just use hashtag Narnshow That's hashtag N-A-R-N show Hashtag Narnshow for any comments or questions and as always we appreciate you tuning in Always glad to be with you on this uh, what has been a just a miserably hot week this past week, although I gotta say this morning, took the dog for a walk about 6.30, 6.45. It was like mid-50s and sunny out, no breeze. It was beautiful, absolutely beautiful. So uh, when I heard Jacob's weather report saying it's going to be 95 degrees, I'm like, wow. Uh, hopefully it's not as humid, though. Uh, I can deal with the temperature, uh, but the humidity, yeah, I could, uh, I could soon do without. But it's nice and cool down here at the Patriot Bunker. We are well-regulated down here. So uh, we appreciate you tuning in, and hopefully you are enjoying uh, your Sunday as well. I want to uh, cover a couple of local items here in the first hour and then got a lot of national news uh, on the on the docket as well. I got a buffet of sound bites uh, to get to uh, this hour and a lot of them in the second hour, so a lot to get to. No guests on the broadcast today. I know I did reach out to a couple of Minnesota state legislator, legislators, but with a special session coming up tomorrow, a lot of the prominent folks whom I reached out to are busy with uh, uh, everything uh, leading up to the budget and the budget negotiations. So I uh, wasn't able to, to get anybody on the on the show today. In fact, let me check my phone. Okay no, still no answers to I, I had a few text messages go unanswered as well, which very sensitive to it's a it's a uh, uh, it's crunch time to say the least. Of course, the regular session of the Minnesota state legislature ended about three weeks ago now, three, four weeks ago. But a special session looks to be coming up starting tomorrow, and then a budget agreement has to be reached. Otherwise, we are looking at a government shutdown if an agreement is not reached by July 1st. So it's crunch time. So I understand if uh, uh, folks don't have the uh, opportunity to talk. But uh, I do want to get to kind of talking a little bit about this upcoming session. This is from uh, Brian Boxed at Minnesota Public Radio. NPRNews.org uh, to be specific. It's the legislature's version of being called to the principal's office. One budget area at a time, key legislators and agency commissioners have been pulled Thursday and Friday into meetings with Governor Tim Walls, House Speaker Melissa Hortman, and Senate Majority Leader Paul Gazelka. The committee heads lay out areas of dispute while leaders nudge them toward potential solutions. People worry about behind the scenes. That's not really the way this works, Wall said Friday, explaining how the 45-minute virtual meetings involving 12 to 15 people each have proceeded. Uh, they presented them in a passionate, spirited way and then tried to reach some compromise. I have to tell you, I am more optimistic and have been optimistic we'd get this done, but I am super optimistic after uh, Thursday there were compromises reached. The goal, he said... Is to get final agree is to get to final agreements by Sunday, which would be today, uh, to begin pushing the plans through during a special session that begins on Monday. Lawmakers have to finalize about a dozen mega bills that make up the two-year, fifty-two billion dollar state budget. It's set to kick in on July one, and without it, without it all or parts of government will go dark. Well. A couple of issues, I think, to weigh in on. Something I think we've talked about a lot on this broadcast, particularly with state legislators. I know there are people who follow these that are a little put off that it basically comes down to three people who are negotiating the state budget and then basically bring it back to their respective uh, caucuses. And say, "Hey, we need to approve this, and so we can move forward." Uh, and that seems like how every budget cycle has gone, pretty much the last, you know, since 2011. I remember 2011; it was uh, Governor Dayton's, Governor Mark Dayton's first uh, year as governor, and he had to face an all Republican legislature, and it ended up government being shut down. I think, yeah, it resulted in government being shut down before they were able to reach an agreement. And it seemed like every budget year since then, with the exception of 2013, and the only reason there was no impasse in 2013 is the DFL had complete control in St. Paul. Governor's office, Minnesota Senate, Minnesota House. Other than that, it's always come down to they've had to settle it in a a special session. Some have been decided early in the special sessions others maybe later on and of course in the case of 2011 there was a government shutdown well the point is that it's essentially come down to three people negotiating these terms and unfortunately members of the respective caucuses aren't wild about the terms that are settled but unfortunately this is this is what the reality the reality in um in state government right now In which, unless one party controls everything, you're just going to have contentious negotiations. But there was an interesting piece uh, in uh, Brian Bach's piece, and I'll read a little bit down the line. Uh, Lawmakers got some encouraging fiscal news this week. Tax collections for May zoomed past projections by about uh, $1.8 billion, in part because of a red-hot economy. And because of a delayed tax filing issue, the new money won't figure into this debate because monthly tax uh, reports uh, come with uh, volatility. Well, now here's something that I've always wondered about all of this—you know—surplus that they have, you know, because they, the DFLers, even up until late into the regular session, were still clinging to the possibility of increasing taxes, which is complete lunacy. Because where, how, is it, how did this surplus come about when for a number of weeks during the global pandemic, businesses were shut down uh, and a lot of people were unemployed and therefore income taxes weren't being collected? So where, where did all this money come from? Well, obviously a lot of it came from the federal government. So are we, are we, are we really going to be able to count on that kind of money coming in the future? Obviously not. Unless there's another global pandemic, which bite my tongue, we we pray and hope that there isn't. So I'm glad for the for the sake of this uh, particular uh, point in the negotiations that that isn't being uh, factored in. But at the end of the day, it's there. There's never ever any discussion about making cuts in spending and it's always used as a cudgel, particularly by the DFL, and of course their media enablers will, uh, will give them cover, is when an automatic increase has gone in for a specific portion of the budget. Well, if Republicans want to reduce that increase, okay, then they're chided as wanting to make draconian cuts. When in actuality, it's still an increase in spending and, any area of the budget but they just want to reduce the the amount of that increase and again it's put out there as as republicans want to uh, apply draconian cuts uh, to the budget and because progressives and their ilk often look at government as some sort of uh, of deity okay you, you're messing with their religion so uh, this is something that is uh, definitely worth keeping an eye on and another aspect of this you know governor walls was a uh, uh, doing a victory lap uh, earlier today uh i think it was a tweet i can't remember if it was put out uh last uh i can't re- i don't recall if it was put out last evening or if it was uh let me find it here i got so many tabs coming up uh open right now um let me find it yeah i don't see the time stamp on this uh particular tweet it doesn't matter but uh, the governor was kind of doing a victory lap saying the minnesota state fair is back Twins games are in full swing and Minnesotans are enjoying our state's 10,000 lakes. Things are looking up thanks to those who have done their part by getting vaccinated. Now let's get now let's all get our vaccine so that we can spend our summer together. You read that and you have to ascertain one thing the emergency is over. We're no longer in an emergency but yet the governor is going to go to the legislature tomorrow and have to ask. To have his emergency powers extended, and the way this works is that it's put uh, before the legislature, and say, and essentially it's it's asked that you know, can the governor, uh, are we going to rescind the governor's emergency powers? And Republicans have always voted yes, we're going to rescind his emergency powers, and most Democrats have voted no. Now, when the Democrats had a substantial majority in the House last year. They had about a handful of members, five or six members, that voted to take away Governor Walz's emergency powers. But when their majority shrank in the Minnesota House, they didn't have any margin for error anymore. So all of a sudden, those same Democrats that happened to be reelected to the House that were voting to take away Governor Walz's emergency powers, wouldn't you know, they were allowing him to keep them. And from what I understand, as part of the negotiations, the governor... I guess, was considering giving up his emergency powers. So if you're using this as a bargaining chip, how is this an emergency? If you get some of your pet projects put through, how is how can this be considered an emergency anymore? And I like how he worded this tweet, you know, talking about, hey, you know, State Fair is back, no restrictions, Twins games are in full swings, everybody's out enjoying the the lakes, things are looking up because people got vaccinated, but we all have to get our vaccines so we can spend the summer together. So he's, if I'm reading this right, he's basically saying, "Well, you know, got to keep the emergency going until everybody gets vaccinated." Because if there's some people who aren't vaccinated, guess what? We're still susceptible to COVID and could be susceptible, and we could still be susceptible to spread. But again, as the governor is wont to do, he avoids the science whenever he's making these statements about COVID. Because those who are unvaccinated, they're the ones taking the risk. Okay? I'm I'm fully vaccinated. I got to the point where it was like, you know what, once I'm fully vaccinated, I'm living my life. Throwing away the face diaper. Okay? I'm, I'm moving on with life. And if you're not vaccinated, that's on you. Okay? And if you happen to be around me and you have COVID, okay, I've got a heck of a lot more immunity than I did than obviously before I got vaccinated. So, I'm just saying that this seems to be a situation where a lot of these progressive government officials govern until there's zero risk. They want to eliminate all risk, and that's just that's fantasy in any scenario, whether it's a global pandemic or driving your car in a freeway. There's never zero risk, so uh, it'll be interesting to see how this vote comes up. I mean, they're they're going to vote. It's a fait accompli, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, the the Houseman. The DFL House majority is going to vote in the majority to allow Governor Wallace to continue his emergency powers, and therefore it will happen. But, um, because both bodies of the legislature have to vote in the affirmative to take away emergency powers. The Senate obviously will. Uh, the House not so much. So it uh, looks like special session will start tomorrow. How long it will take to complete this budget? Well, the governor seemed very optimistic on Friday, but we, we shall see. 651-289-4488 is the number to call. You can also weigh in via Twitter at hashtag NarnShow. That's hashtag N-A-R-N Show. Brad Carlson, The Closer, coming back with another segment on the broadcast. Go nowhere.
0: Whoa. Look at all these options. You can fill an entire warehouse with all the different ways you can stream The Patriot. Top shelf choices include am1280thepatriot.com, our free app, and
1: radio.com. Tell me why Relief actor is so successful in lowering or eliminating pain.
3: 2085 800 2085 Are you the principal or leader of a Christian or Catholic school? Would you like to fill the empty seats in your classrooms for no cash out of pocket? TwinCitiesTuitions.com would like to team up with you on our tuition program for first-year students. You'll be part of a marketing campaign to raise awareness about your school and gain new students for next year and beyond. Again, at no cash investment for your school. Get details by logging on to TwinCitiesTuitions.com. That's TwinCitiesTuitions.com.
0: Salem Surround partners with your business to deliver custom digital marketing solutions. Surround your target audience wherever they engage, search, surf, socialize, or review to keep your business top of mind. Learn more at Minneapolis.SalemSurround.com.
2: What's Welcome back, AM1280 the Patriot. Northern America Northern Alliance Radio Network, not North America Radio Network. Although we could be heard all over North America and all over the world for that matter. No, Northern Alliance Radio Network. Thanks as always for tuning in. 651-289-4488 is the number to call. You can also weigh in via Twitter at hashtag NarnShow. Hashtag N-A-R-N show. For any comments or questions, and as always, we appreciate you tuning in. Sticking with our uh, local uh, political talk, um, Ilhan Omar's Bad Week. You know, I had a running series when Ilhan Omar was first uh, sworn in as a a member of Congress out of Minnesota's 5th Congressional District. I had a series pretty much the first couple of months called Ilhan Omar's Bad Week because she seemed to step in it verbally. Uh, Practically week in and week out, and uh, she was um, she got quite a challenge in the DFL primary in 2020 from a gentleman by the name of Anton Melton Mukes, uh, who who raised a heck of a lot of money in an effort to oust Ilhan Omar. Because let's face it, in Minnesota's fifth congressional district, the DFL primary is basically the general election because whoever wins that's going to win in November. God bless any Republican who has ever run in that district. They have my utmost. Respect and admiration for rolling that boulder up that hill, but it is an exercise in futility. Let's just be honest, to for any non-DFL candidate. Uh, so you have to wonder how how long it's going to be before she wears out her welcome, because she um, she stepped in it again this past week, and it wasn't. And unfortunately, her media lapdogs couldn't just write this off as Republicans pounce. Uh, in the response to this. Uh, This is from our friend and Northern Alliance Radio Network alum, Ed Morrissey. Uh, What gives? Ilhan Omar has made comments like this ever since coming to Washington. Her attempt Monday to equate Israel and the U.S. with Hamas and the Taliban seems like routine for the radical congresswoman and squad member. And I'll read the uh, tweet where she attached a video. This is again from Representative Ilhan Omar. We must have the same level of accountability and justice for all victims of crimes against humanity. We have seen unthinkable atrocities committed by the U.S., Hamas, Israel, Afghanistan, and the Taliban. I asked uh, Secretary Blinken where people are supposed to go for justice. Uh, This was... Yeah, the... Sorry about that. The, uh, yeah. Anthony Blinken. I wanted to get his first name right. Anthony Blinken. He is the uh, secretary of state in the Biden administration. Uh, for some reason, I couldn't remember his first name. I apologize, folks. I wanted it for for purposes of uh, clarification and uh, information. I wanted to get the name right. Um, this statement had uh, the effect Omar wanted. Attention on social media and the approbation of the lunatic fringe of BDS-supporting progressives, anti-Semites, and the Blame America crowd. Perhaps she didn't count on getting much pushback from her colleagues who have largely given Omar a pass for her nutty comments about Israel and the U.S., or from Democrat leadership, for that matter, which has tossed up distractions as fast as Omar's rants emerge. Not this time, however. And I'm going to read an excerpt story from the New York Post. A dozen House Democrats urged Representative Ilhan Omar late Wednesday to clarify a Twitter post in which the squad member claimed that America, Israel, Hamas, and the Taliban have all committed, quote-unquote, unspeakable atrocities. Uh, Equating the United States and Israel to Hamas and the Taliban is as offensive as it is misguided, read the statement, which was led by Representative Brad Schneider, a Democrat out of Illinois. Ignoring the differences between democracies governed by the rule of law and contemptible organizations that engage in terrorism at best discredits one's intended argument and, at worst, reflects deep-seated prejudice. Ilhan Omar, prejudice against the Jews? Perish the thought! Uh, <clears throat> that's my comment, not uh, Representative Schneider's Uh I'll continue with Representative Schneider's uh, commentary. Uh, The United States and Israel are imperfect and, like all democracies, at times deserving of critique. But false equivalencies give cover to terrorist groups, the statement concluded. We urge Congressman Omar to clarify her words, placing the U.S. and Israel in the same category as Hamas and the Taliban. And Ilhan Omar uh, came out and said... um, You know, she did have a response to this, basically uh, saying she responded directly to uh, Brad Schneider's tweet and said, It's shameful for colleagues who call me when they need my support to now put out a statement asking for clarification and not just call. The Islamophobic tropes in this statement are offensive. The constant harassment and silencing from the signers of this letter is unbearable. Uh, Anybody got any popcorn popping? Again, they're not able, the media that is, are not able to just write this off as Republicans seize on Omar's comments or Republicans pounce. They can't defend her on this because not even Democrats are defending her on this. And keep in mind, um, these aren't uh, these aren't a bunch of um, backbenchers, as Ed Morrissey uh, points out in his piece at Hot Air, that are putting out this letter. Okay, some of the uh, uh, congressmen and, and women, members of Congress who signed their names to this uh, letter include uh, Jared Nadler, who is a high-ranking uh, Democrat on one of the, uh, I think it's the Judiciary Committee, and Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who is a former chair of the Democratic National Committee. Okay, these aren't backbenchers that are attaching their names to this letter. So you would have to think that whether Na- that Nancy Pelosi probably approved that they put the statement out, or if she didn't approve, they were just going to go around her. Well, it turns out Speaker Pelosi did put out a statement on con- on comments by uh, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar. A legitimate criticism of the policies of both the U.S. and Israel is protected by the values of free speech and democratic debate, and indeed, such criticism is essential to the strength and health of our democracies. But drawing false equivalencies between democracies like the U.S. and Israel and groups that emerge in terrorism like Hamas and the Taliban foments prejudice and undermines progress toward a future of peace and security for all. We welcome the clarification of Congresswoman Omar that there is no moral equivalency between the U.S. and Israel and Hamas and the Taliban. So, a lot of people were focused on the split in the Republican Party when Liz Cheney was being ousted as the conference chair. Okay? As if this is just some huge, irreparable riff in the Republican Party and can't be repaired. Well, the Republican Party is the minority party in the U.S. House. So the idea that you're focusing on that particular squabble, and it just it made... I mean, CNN's uh, homepage on their website had all of these think pieces on this rift in the Republican Party, the minority party in the U.S. House, but now you have the majority party who have to come out and defend Israel against the comments from someone who has very clearly put forth anti-Semitic talking points in the past, you know on. You know, it's all about the Benjamins, baby. Omar, remember that little swipe she talked about? I think it was—I think it was a tweet directed at uh, Ben Shapiro, a Jewish man. You know, it's all about the Benjamins, baby. Okay. So she's done this before, but of course, she she has she has support from the squad, and the squad is delusional enough to think that they represent mainstream America. That because they won their reelection campaigns in two thousand twenty, that you know it was a mandate for a progressive agenda. Never mind that the Democrats' substantial majority in the House was dwindled significantly in 2020, despite the fact that they were projected to gain seats. You know, we're we're just going to... I guess we're just going to gloss over that. So, of course, Ilhan Omar came out and said that, uh, you know, the Islamic, Islamophobic tropes in the statement are offensive. And this is what... This is what happens when you criticize a minority female on statements they make or on policy stances. They use the, whether it's Islamophobia or misogynistic or misogyny or bigotry as a cover. Okay, you can't, apparently you can't criticize the substance of their statements or the substance of their policy stances without being misogynistic, or in this case uh, with this with uh, Ilan Omar, Islamophobic, okay, because she's of the of the Muslim faith. Well, nobody's buying that. Nobody's buying that at all. The fact that she's had a track record of making statements like this, and was called out. I remember within the first couple of months, in early 2019, the Democrat caucus met in the House, and Representative Dean Phillips from right here in in. in Minnesota. Kudos to him. Came out and called out Ilhan Omar. Again, this was private. This was a private meeting, but it was leaked that he was still very concerned and very troubled by her comments that came off as anti-Semitic. So this is a track record. So you want to know why they didn't call her for clarification? Because she continues to make these statements. So maybe this was used to get her attention. Who's to say? We'll be back in mere moments. AM 1280, the Patriot Northern Alliance Radio Network with me, Brad Carlson. You go nowhere.
0: I cry before... Impact Mortgage Corp. DBA Cash Call Mortgage NMLS ID 128231 Equal Lender, not licensed in all states, including New York. Offer based on loans over two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Call 85-657-9910 for licensing terms and restrictions.
1: What's better than a mortgage interest rate and APR in the twos? How about a no closing cost mortgage loan with an interest rate and APR in the twos? That's right. We have no closing cost loans here at Cash Call Mortgage. We pay the title, escrow, and appraisal fees. So if you're looking to save a little cash on your monthly mortgage payment,
3: We provide free in-home delivery. So if you're a CPAP user and you have Medicare, staying healthy with new CPAP equipment is easy. Just
0: make this free phone call right now to get started. Sponsored by Specialty Medical. 800-860-4610. 800-860-4610. 800-860-4610. That's 800-860-4614. Now that spring is here, your windshield may be exposed to a few more, uh, hazards. So trust your repairs to Advantage Auto Glass. Hi, John Wichko here, owner of Advantage Auto Glass. I'd like to invite you to finally get that chipped or cracked windshield fixed right the first time. You root for your home team, so why not trust your windshield to your hometown repair shop, Advantage Auto Glass. So give us a call today at 952-423-6396 and we'll replace your windshield with only the highest quality parts and adhesives. Or if you call your agent or your claims line first, make sure you tell them you want to work with Advantage Auto Glass and no one else. Call Advantage Auto Glass today at 952-423-6396. And don't forget, you can schedule your appointment on our website at ReplaceMyWindshield.com. That's ReplaceMyWindshield.com.
2: Well,
3: you
0: know I can be found Sitting
2: alone. Welcome back. I'm 1280 The Patriot, Northern Alliance Radio Network with me, Brad Carlson. Thanks as always for tuning in. 651-289-4488 is the number to call. You can also weigh in via Twitter at hashtag NarnShow. That's hashtag show for any comments or questions. As always, we appreciate you tuning in. I'm getting called out by Senator Dave Osmeck. Because <laughs> I mentioned in the first segment that I reached out to a few senators uh to come on the air to talk about uh the upcoming special session. Senator Ozimek correctly points out uh that uh, you know not that he wanted to be on the air today but I didn't call him. <clears throat> He's right. I didn't. I can I can't lie. I didn't. Sorry Senator Osmack. I've got your number. I got no excuse. So uh I don't know why I didn't but uh, <laughs> Senator you're, you know you're always so welcome. You have an open invite. I think you would know that by now. But uh, I'm not trying to shy away from my responsibility, but he's right. I could have I could have given him a call, but uh, definitely we'll look forward to seeing how this week uh, progresses. And uh, who's to say if uh, we still don't have a budget by the end of uh, this upcoming week, we may still have more to talk about. So, Senator Osmek, you know where to get a hold of me. But we'll, I'll definitely uh, reach out in the very near future. I promise you, sir. So, <laughs> uh, just having fun here. Just having fun on the Northern Alliance Radio Network. We are continuing. Uh, to talk about Ilhan Omar being called out by House Democratic leadership for uh, basically a false equivalency, and it was a false equivalency, uh, comparing the atrocities committed by Hamas and the Taliban to uh, things that have happened with Israel and the United States. Uh, Of course, she had her blind defenders, her fellow squad members like Rashida Tlaib and uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, but... uh, uh, Bhatia Angar Sargon with Newsweek made a very excellent point here, in basically saying via Twitter that Omar's response is classic gaslighting. She spent weeks defending Hamas, but now calls it Islamophobic for colleagues to ask about giving cover to terrorist organizations. She says they are silencing her when they are literally asking her to clarify, i.e., to speak. So, yeah, that's that's what they wanted. And as I wrapped up last segment, I was saying, you know, this is something. And I recounted an incident from early uh, 2019 when the new Congress, the new uh, Democrat House majority was sworn in. There was a conference uh, a meeting where a handful of members, uh, specifically uh, Jewish Democrats, saying they were uncomfortable with some of the things that Ilhan Omar has said and don't feel like it was utterly resolved, including uh, Dean Phillips of our own 3rd Congressional District here in Minnesota. So, and unfortunately, details of this meeting were leaked. Okay, it was supposed to be a private meeting. But they've tried to hash this out privately before. And yet she's continued to make insinuations that come across as very anti-Semitic. And so when she's complaining about, well, why didn't they just call me personally or privately for clarification? Well, the, apparently, that hasn't worked. They've held private meetings before to discuss this, and apparently it hasn't gotten through. So they figure the only way to really call this out, get this out in the open, and finally have a discussion about it is to call into question and say, uh, Representative Omar, are, are you nuts? Hamas and the Taliban, what they've done? You're putting, you're putting Israel and the United States on par with Hamas and the Taliban? Really? Not uh, really understanding uh, that logic there. But we do want to get to a phone caller here real quick. Mark, our good friend, is calling from St. Louis Park. Mark, always good to hear from you, sir. You're on. Brad,
0: thanks for taking my call. Uh, I just, uh, just a quick comment. I think after Ilhan Omar's most recent comments, her uh, polling went up 10 percentage points in the 5th District. Is that true? Uh, no, that's a joke.
2: Okay, I was going
0: to say. Uh, I, uh, yeah, because of her district. I was going to say, I have to hesitate,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> I have a quick story. I think I've said it before, but I was, I'm was i Jewish. I was at synagogue once, and she after several controversies over a year ago, one of the members said, boy, she's going to get primary this time, and she's gone. And I said, yeah, she'll probably get primary by someone from Hamas. That's how radical the district was. Yeah, right. She's probably too conservative for the district. Yeah. all so, that's why. Just a couple of jokes. That I'll hang up and listen. Yeah, appreciate so, it, thanks, Mark.
2: Bye. Yeah, thanks as always. And uh, of course, Mark, living in St. Louis Park, lives right in Representative Omar's district. So, yeah, he's uh, obviously got a few insights on this. But this is this is something that um, you know is to take into consideration. As I alluded to last segment, Anton Milton Mukes, an unknown figure, raised a heck of a lot of money. In an attempt to primary Johan Omar, and she ended up winning the primary comfortably by, I think, 15 points, maybe a little bit more. But I will say this. Johan uh, Omar, of course, won the general election by 38 points over Leslie—or uh, Lacey Johnson, I should say. Lacey Johnson was the Republican candidate. Joe Biden won the 5th Congressional District by about 64 points, I think, was the gap over Trump. So Biden won by 64 points— Omar won by thirty eight points. That's a twenty six point difference. That was the largest gap in vote in uh, victory total, victory uh, percentage of any member of any House member. What I, what I guess what I'm trying to say, and I'm explaining rather poorly, is no House member had a bigger gap. In margin or bigger deficit in margin of victory than O'Han Omar and the top of the presidential ticket, which in this case was Joe Biden. Because again, Biden won by 65%, Omar by 38%. That's a 27 point difference in margin of victory. The the biggest of any House member and the presidential candidate in their party. Okay? So that tells you that they can be convinced in the 5th Congressional District to find a different DFL candidate. And this was similar to, you know, I live in the 6th Congressional District, and this is similar to what we dealt with uh, with Michelle Bachman. But Michelle Bachman, that was different because she was actually became vulnerable in the general election. I mean, she always, the 6th Congressional District is the most conservative in the state. The 6th and 7th are both are like R plus 15 to 20, very conservative districts. And anybody who runs as a Republican should win handily. But Michelle Bachman was constantly raising boatloads of money to win these races. I think she won by double digits once, which was 2010, big Republican wave. Otherwise, uh, she was having to eke out victories. And in 2012, it came to a head. She won by, I think, less than 1%. And she had to raise a lot of money to do it. And it took valuable resources away from other races. And it got to the point where Michelle Bachman wore out her welcome and decided not to run again In 2014, and ever since then, Tom Emmer, who's been the Republican candidate, has easily won in the general. I don't think he's ever won by less than 20%. Okay? So my point is that what we need to do is paint the Democrats as as what Ilhan Omar is, because that's what they tried to do with the Republicans. Whenever Michelle Bachman would say something to be charitable... uh, that caused you to scratch your head. I was going to say nutty, but, you know, caused you to scratch your head. Uh, they would always go to the Republicans and say, well, hey, Republicans, do you agree with uh, what your fellow member of Congress, and fellow uh, caucus member is saying here? You know, they would paint the Republican Party as, you know, what Mich- things Michelle Bachman would say based on some unfortunate statement she said. And we need to start doing that with the Democrats, but the thing is, Ilhan Omar will never be in danger of winning uh, losing a general election in the fifth congressional district. Primary's different. Primary, there may be a chance, okay? And you have to wonder how much more the fifth is going to put up with with her. Because like we talked about, you know, last cycle, you're going to get a reliable progressive that's going to vote for all the pet progressive projects once they get to the House. But they're going to do so without causing a lot of embarrassment to your district. And you gotta wonder when do the residents of the fifth congressional district get to that point where they say, okay, enough is enough. We can get any progressive in there to go in and rubber stamp, you know, these pet progressive projects in the house and but yet not bring the unwanted PR to our district. So I, I don't know the answer to that. Maybe they'll never get to that point. I don't know. But here's the thing. In the sixth congressional district where I live, you know, Republicans finally got to that point. In in 2012, Romney, Mitt Romney, who was the presidential candidate, handily won the sixth congressional district, whereas Michelle Bachman won, I don't even think she won by a point. I think it was less than 1%, maybe 0.8%. I don't remember the exact margin, but it was a very slim margin. And it was enough to say, okay, uh, I'm not going to run again in 2014. I think she finally saw the writing on the wall. So after all of this, um, Ilhan Omar came out and kind of waved the proverbial white flag and gave a statement uh, on her questions during the House Foreign Affairs Committee. She said, On Monday, I asked Secretary of State Antony Blinken about about an ongoing international criminal courts investigation. To be clear, the conversation was about accountability for specific incidents regarding those ICC cases, not a moral comparison between Hamas and the Taliban in the U.S. and Israel. I was in no way equating terrorist organizations with democratic countries with well-established judicial systems. Now, had she basically come out and said that right away, all right, She'd, she'd have probably been fine. and would have been swept under the rug and they could have gone on with their lives and the leadership would have been satisfied and said, okay, thank you for providing that clarification, Congresswoman. But instead, she comes out and accuses her own members of her own caucus. She accuses them of Islamophobia because they dare criticize her statements. And again, I, I've i asked this several times on this show. If we disagree with a poly, is it... or? Let me put it another way. Is it possible? Is it even possible to disagree with a policy stance of a progressive female elected official? Is that possible without being misogynistic? I'm asking a serious question here because this shouldn't have been difficult. When you even had members, prominent members of the Democrat leadership coming out and calling out Ilhan Omar on this, you knew it was bad. But yet the Islamophobia, Islamophobia accusation continues to be thrown out. And I love, I forget which squad member it was, whether it was Tide Podavida or Rashida Talib coming out and saying, well, you know, this is just this is classic. A Muslim woman isn't allowed to speak. Ooh, yeah, she is. She's allowed to speak. She was begged to speak. She was begged to give a clarification. But this idea that you're able to say these outlandish things without consequences that's not what free speech is. That's not what First Amendment protected speech is. Free speech and for the First Amendment, the, be- the best concept about that is the way to respond to objectionable speech is not by trying to silence your opponent, but by more speech. And that's what happened here. But apparently, uh, these squad members think that they're supposed to be insulated from criticism because, for whatever reason, they delusionally believe that their reelections in 2020 constituted a mandate, which, like I said, seems to fly in the face of what actually happened. The Democrat majority shrunk in the U.S. House when it was supposed to be increased. So, But they can continue to have their head in the sand if they want. 651-289-4488 is the number to call. You can also weigh in via Twitter at hashtag Show. Hashtag N-A-R-N show. Brad Carlson, The Closer, coming back with one final segment this hour. Go nowhere.
0: Situations running through my head. Looking back through time, you know it's clear that I've been AM 1280, The Patriot. Cool. Voiceover: Zany sound effect. Uh, we were gonna write a flashy promo about streaming us at radio.com, but considering how easy it is to do, we'll keep it simple too. Listen to the Patriot on the free radio.com app. Do you need a new battery for your lawnmower, boat, or motorcycle? Full Service Battery offers the lowest prices on batteries in town. Need batteries for your golf cart? Full Service Battery will recycle your old ones and even install the new batteries. Let local, family-owned Full Service Battery put their over 20 years of experience to work for you. They can even custom build a battery cable if you need it. There's only one name you need to remember for batteries, and that's Full Service Battery. Search them online, Full Service Battery
1: pro-life across america the billboard people
3: i'm sure glad you're my sister addy yep you're my best buddy mom says you were their little surprise what would we do without you wow well, you'll probably get your own gum yeah that's true but you're worth it
1: hello my name is carrie i work with pro-life across america the billboard people If you know someone who is pregnant or in need of alternatives to abortion or needs post-abortion assistance or would like to support the life-saving work of Pro-Life Across America... Please call 1 800 366 7773 or check us out online at prolifeacrossamerica.org. Pro-Life Across America, educational, non political, and tax deductible.
3: A baby's heart
0: is beating 18 days from conception. Prolife Across America, the Billboard People. AM 1280, The Patriot and iHeartRadio. They go together like freedom and the Second Amendment. Listen at iHeart.com or with the free iHeartRadio mobile app.
1: Tell me why Relief Actor is so successful in lowering or eliminating pain. Welcome back.
2: am 1280 of the Patriot.
0: Make a with a gun perpendicular.
2: Northern Alliance Radio Network with me, Brad Carlson. Thanks as always for tuning in. Only got a few minutes, this final segment, uh, this hour with me, uh, Brad Carlson. Again, the closer, check out my blog, bradcarlson.org. Uh, I want to get to Governor Greg Abbott. He recently signed a piece of legislation passed by the Texas legislature. Uh, I'll play this sound clip, let Governor Abbott explain what he is signing, and I'll come back with my comments. uh, Jacob, cut number one.
1: Texas is open 100 percent and we want to make sure that you have the freedom to go where you want without limits. The Texas legislature passed a law that I'm about to sign that prohibits vaccine passports in Texas. No business or government entity can require a person to provide a vaccine passport or any other vaccine information as a condition of receiving any service or entering any place. I want to thank the Texas legislature for getting this bill to my desk.
2: Sounds like has got a magic marker, doesn't he? Signing the bill here? Okay, that's what that sound is.
1: Vaccine passports are now prohibited in the Lone Star State. Okay.
2: Um, I can't lie. Not a fan of this. Not a fan of this. I am not a fan of this legislation. Uh, I'd be curious to see a Venn diagram of those who adamantly oppose forcing a bakery to design cakes for a gay wedding and those who approve this new legislation in Texas. Now, if people are consistent, in my opinion, the two circles would be kind of the. proverbial owl eyes you ever see the eyes of an owl where they practically are on the opposite sides of the head the side of their head right but i i'm struggling with this one i I, i'm curious how is this different dramatically different from the you know the the bake the cake bigot philosophy now you remember that particular incident right jack phillips owner of masterpiece cake shop in colorado he declined to use his talents, as, uh, which is designing wedding cakes, uh, for a gay wedding because he is a, a devout Christian, Bible-believing Christian, and therefore opposes uh, gay marriage and therefore does not did not want to use his artistic talents for something he didn't believe in. And he was sued. Now, they never ruled on the actual merits of the case. They What, what ended up happening is a Colorado Civil Rights Commission— Uh, was very hostile to Jack Phillips' faith, and the Supreme Court ruled on that basis saying, well, Colorado Civil Rights Commission, you can't hand down that diktat because you were very hostile to his faith, and he has a right to, you know, have a—freely express his religion, okay? So people would argue, well, Jack Phillips, private business owner, you know, it's his— private business, private property, private enterprise. He has a right to run it how he sees fit. And I didn't disagree. But how is forcing a business, prohibiting a business to do something that they might feel safe in doing, i.e. showing proof that you're vaccinated from COVID in order to enter my establishment? Because they may say, we don't want people walking in here that aren't vaccinated and could thus have covid And spread it to others who may not be vaccinated. Now, I've been down this road several times. If you're not vaccinated by now, you're taking the risk, okay? Because those of us who are fully vaccinated, we have a very, 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 very high immunity, infinitesimal chance that we can even contract COVID. And if you've had COVID, you've had the antibodies, in addition to being vaccinated, you're almost 100% immune. Nothing's 100%, but you know what I'm saying. So if you're telling a business that they can't do this and you're, and you're the, a government imposing your will on this business, how is this any different than if you advocate for trying to force a baker to violate his religious conscience, his religious objections and bake a cake for a ceremony he doesn't believe in? How, how is it any different? Look, uh, this is Texas. I have a. I I highly doubt there were going to be very many businesses who were going to require that you show proof of having your COVID vaccination in order to enter their establishment. I mean, Texas is pretty much a, uh, yeah, a, a free state, right? I mean, they they're they're big into capitalism, big into freedom, civil liberties, all that sort of thing. I doubt that they there would have been many businesses that have done this because they realize. You know, say there's a, I don't know, uh, people like their steak down in Texas, right? Let's say there's a steak joint down there who says, well, in order to to come into our establishment, you have to show proof that you're vaccinated. Some might be willing to acquiesce to that, but some might say, you know what? There are plenty of other steak places out, out here, and they aren't requiring that. So forget you. I'm going to the place down the street, okay? No business is going to want to risk losing that. So they can assess and say, you know what? If the majority of people are vaccinated, the ones who are taking the risk are those who aren't vaccinated. And they're the ones taking the risk, whereas all of our employees here, whatnot, they're all vaccinated. They're all good. So we should we should be fine. And uh Ala pundit at hot air made a, a salient point is that business owners won't want to leave money on the table by turning unvaccinated customers away, especially if they're vaccinated themselves and thus at little risk of infection. If they want to take precautions, they can always require something less intrusive, like mask wearing on the premises instead. Besides, as the summer wears on and more and more Texans slowly come around to getting vaccinated, the problem of unvaccinated customers will slowly decline as well. Abbott isn't striking a meaningful blow for the unvaccinated here, in other words. He's striking a symbolic blow at public health experts and vaccinated Americans who'd rather not run any risk, of being crowded into a small retail space with an unvaxxed person who might be infected. Look, I think this is really Greg Abbott throwing uh, staunch conservatives a bone here because he did have some shutdown mandates and some mask mandates during the height of the pandemic, and Texans flipped out over that. And then when he said, okay, we're opening our state completely up, they're like, well, sorry, Governor, you don't get full credit. You're the one who shut it down in the first place. So I almost feel like he's kind of throwing him some red meat here, so to speak. Just my opinion. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two coming back in Mirror moments. AM 1280, The Patriot. Go nowhere.
3: Does your office need a little TLC? Do you notice your bathrooms are a bit smelly? Are the surfaces in your break room a little sticky? And isn't that the same coffee spill on the floor and chili splatter in the microwave from weeks ago? Or you can visit my website at forevercleaning.com. That's the number 4, EVRcleaning.com. Remember, Forever Cleaning is so thorough, you'll wonder if your mom snuck in overnight and cleaned.
1: My pain was an electrical pain that would go down my right leg all the way to my foot. It's like being hooked to an electric fence.
0: Diane, a Twin Cities resident, has been suffering from neuropathy since 2006.
1: The pain level that I had was anywhere from a 7 to 8 on a good day.
0: Here's what happened after Diane started seeing Dr. Ben Knight, D.C., at Abundant Life Chiropractic.
1: After the first two weeks, I had tremendous pain relief. I now see five to six hours minimum. My balance is much better. This has been an awesome pain travel for me, and I would highly recommend it to anyone.
2: Have you been suffering from numbness, tingling, burning, or restless pain in your hands or feet? Does your doctor insist on giving you more medications, but your neuropathy is still not improving? Get answers today by contacting me, Dr. Knight, DC, at Abundant Life Chiropractic in Shanhassen. Call 952-300-8338 to schedule a full neuropathy workup with us.
1: Dennis Prager here with my friend, Mike Hilborn, owner of Roof to Deck Restoration. Mike, I've seen roofs in the Twin Cities that have many years of life left, but are streaked and stained and look, quite honestly, terrible. Your company actually removes those streaks? Dennis, many people don't know it, but those black streaks and stains are caused by an algae
0: that can be killed and cleaned away. Our process makes roofs look new again. Algae and moss grow on cedar shake roofs. Moss is especially damaging because it actually feeds on the cedar wood
1: and prevents the wood from drying. And when wood doesn't dry, it rots. Cleaning and sealing a cedar shake roof actually extends the life of a roof. Mike, how can people learn more? See videos on our website at Rooftodeck.com. That's Rooftodeck.com. For a free quote, call 651-699-3504. Call now through Thursday and receive $100 off your project of $1000 or more. AM 1280
0: The Patriot W